You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Scripture reading this afternoon, chosen by Pastor Vursima, is Psalm 8. And after Psalm 8, we will read the text, which is taken from Psalm 92. Let us listen then to the word of our God as you find it, first of all, in Psalm 8 and thereafter in Psalm 92. Psalm 8, for the director of music, according to the Gittis, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Then we turn to Psalm 92. The description above it reads, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord? How profound your thoughts? The senseless man does not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish, all evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn, like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Brothers and sisters, the heading for Psalm 92 says that it's a song for the Sabbath. That weekly day in which we rest from our labors of filling the earth and subduing it and 
not turning to our own pleasures, as Isaiah 58 emphasizes, but turning to another great work, a work that takes much effort and that is most joyful, the work of service of worship. We give each first day of the week to the Lord in worship with great joy because it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to his name, and also because in the sign of the Sabbath rest, we have a sign of God's covenant with us. A covenant promise in which he promises even to Lucas that at the right time, on the right day, God will send his angels to carry each one of us into his heavenly eternal rest, the very same rest that the Lord himself entered into when he finished his work of creation. Psalm 92 demonstrates to us how we are to worship the Lord on the Sabbath day. And we'll work through this psalm, so I urge you to keep your Bibles open at Psalm 92. We'll start at verse 1 and work through to verse 15. If at some point the wording that I use is a little bit different from uh, what you're reading, it's because I'm working from a different translation, the English Standard Version. So let's begin with verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. It is good to praise the Lord for his great O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you establish strength because of your enemies. The Lord's foes are made ashamed as even little babies and infants give thanks and praise to the Lord, expressing that the Lord is God. He is upright. There is no unrighteousness in him. We praise the Lord for his work. Verse 4 talks about that. For you have made me glad by your work, O Lord. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. For your works are very great, O Lord. How great they are. And your thoughts are very deep. See, each week that we receive from the Lord is a week of work for Him and also 
we delight in the Lord's work on our behalf. And we express that particularly now, today, on this day of celebration of the redemption of Jesus Christ and his victory over death. The Lord's work, his work of creation, his work of protection, his work of salvation, his amazing work in relation to his people. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, O Lord, the moon and stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you that you care for him. You have set him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over all things. And that's why Psalm 92 tells us that God's thoughts are very deep. Indeed, is very deep profound, that this great God should have us be in his image, and that we should exercise dominion in his name over the earth, that we who are sinners even should still be crowned with glory and honor. O oh Lord, it is great to declare your steadfast love every day, and especially on this day. Your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, with all the musical instruments, O oh Lord, that you have given us, with our voices, O oh Lord, we sing praise to you. For indeed you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor forever. But brothers and sisters, there are many who do not understand this. There are, oh, so many who just do not get it, who cannot see. They don't see how it can make sense to just come together and praise God, a God that you cannot see. And so this psalm, in verse 6, the stupid man, or the senseless man, cannot understand the fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O oh Lord, are on high forever. Indeed, Many are foolish. They are blinded. 
Because if you look at people with the physical eyes or from human perspective, the wicked do just as well as the righteous or even better. Just like grass that has been lying dormant, when the spring rains come, it just sprouts up and is greed in such short order. So the wicked just sprout up as well and flourish. They have good jobs. They have a good standard of living. There's nothing visibly evident that the evildoers do not have God's approval. And yet, yet by Scripture we know that it is foolish to look at it this way. It is a fool who doesn't understand that God is to be praised. It is a fool that does not understand that all evildoers are doomed to destruction forever. I am reminded of the man in Brazil who said, I don't have to do good works. I don't have to believe in God. When I die, I can count on it that the people will just say that I was a good man and that I rest in peace. And unfortunately, this is so true. Indeed, many people just do not get it. And they are more fearful of men than they are of God. And they want to comfort every man and assure him that when we die, we go to heaven. When we die, we rest in peace. But verse 8 tells us, you, O Lord, are on high forever. God is the judge. He is supreme. And he is supreme also in being pure and good and therefore a just judge. And his enemies will not continue to flourish They are, in fact, like grass. For when the scorching hot sun sets in and there are days of no rain, the the grass withers and dies off. And so the psalm tells us in uh, verse 9, 
For behold, your enemies, O Lord, behold, your enemies shall perish, and all evildoers shall be scattered. But the Lord's great majestic power is not displayed only in the destruction of the enemies, but he also exalts the righteous. He has great mercy on the righteous and blesses us. The psalmist considered himself to be among the righteous. And he could declare, you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. Now, it isn't altogether clear what that uh, creature is that we look at as the wild ox. Uh, it might even have been a uh, now extinct unicorn. Uh, it, it was evidently uh, a wild animal of uh, great power, uh, such that other animals would uh, uh, shrink back and uh, he would be one that would stand out among the animals in the wild. And so, the psalmist, who may well have been David, uh, saw himself exalted by the Lord, standing out in relation to his enemies, for his enemies were indeed destroyed and scattered. He could also speak of celebration. Uh, for he says, you have poured over me fresh oil. That's the oil of gladness. That's the oil that's like when you go to uh, a party and you get all dressed up and you put on a nice perfume. And uh, that's the expression that uh, he is conveying here of how the Lord has given him great gladness and good, good reason to praise the Lord, to uh, rejoice to give thanks. And so the psalmist can say, my, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Brothers and sisters, be assured that all those who are your enemies, if they are God's enemies, the Lord will raise you up and exalt you above those enemies. And those enemies will be destroyed. And that can also be your song today on this day of rest and worship to the Lord. Now we see then in this psalm that there is a very strong contrast between the wicked, the enemies of God, and the righteous. And we ask the question, who are the wicked? And of course, even you children know very well that murderers are wicked. Drug traffickers are wicked. Evil dictators who bring about great persecution and especially persecution against Christians, 
They're wicked. They are evildoers. They are enemies of God. But of course, we know from Scripture that there are many, many more who are wicked evildoers. Let me remind you of what you already know so well. Ever since Adam and Eve committed the first sin, all people are born as sinners. By nature, we are sinful. And being sinners, we are wicked. By nature, we are evildoers. Therefore, Romans 5 tells us not that the Lord Jesus Christ delivered good people, but it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that while we were enemies, enemies of God, we were reconciled to the Lord. So it is not that the righteous are by nature better than the wicked, but it is because of our Lord Jesus Christ that those who are wicked become righteous. Once again, we ask, who are the wicked? Who are the evildoers? And then we think of 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. Who are the enemies of God? Well, in this chapter, we are told that the Lord Jesus Christ will bring great deliverance to those who are being persecuted. And he will come with his holy angels and with a terrifying fire and he will take revenge on the murderers. No, that's not what it says. On the evil dictators, on the drug traffickers. That's not what it says. It says he will take revenge on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. You may be an upstanding citizen in the community. You may be one that everyone recognizes as morally honest and good. You may be one who grants great uh, assistance uh, to people who are downtrodden and uh, with much difficulty. You may be ever so religious and carry on so many good religious duties, and yet 
Jesus Christ will take vengeance on you with his everlasting fire of destruction if you do not know God intimately according to the Bible, if you do not obey the gospel, that good news about God's love, that good news about God's righteousness, that good news about his deliverance through Jesus Christ alone and not through any good works of man and not through any other, however morally impressive religion, he will destroy those who do not obey the gospel. And who are the righteous? We know that the righteous are not those who are without sin. You who may indeed count yourselves as righteous, you know that you are not free of sin. And think also of David himself. A man after the Lord's own heart, who in fact committed adultery and ordered the death of his lover's husband. Indeed, David was righteous. But not in that, of course. And he was not righteous in his own behavior. There was still much sin in his life. The righteous are those who, by the grace of God, cast themselves in repentance on Jesus Christ. The righteous are those who believe the Bible and who believe the Bible so much that they live by it. Who believe the Bible so much that they do indeed on the Lord's day sing for joy, rejoice in the Lord's work, make music, Give thanks to the Lord. These are the righteous. And this afternoon we saw that even little Lucas, so even all our little covenant children are counted among the righteous. For 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14 tells us that the children of believers are not unclean. They are holy. And we give thanks to God, especially because we know that it is not of ourselves that we are righteous. The righteous are righteous because we confess that the Lord is upright. And the experience that the righteous have is indeed very different from that of the wicked. The wicked sprout like grass, 
They flourish for a season, but then they die. Their life is cut short and they experience destruction forever. And now we read in verse 12, the righteous flourish like the palm tree. They grow like a cedar in Lebanon. A palm tree doesn't die off season by season. A palm tree grows year by year and keeps on putting out a new branch, a new frond, some more coconuts. Every three months, you can go up and pick some more coconuts. And it keeps on growing, taller and taller. The cedars of Lebanon are like those California redwoods that grow for a thousand years. And so this psalm is encouraging us to believe that the righteous live and go on living. They have long lives. And we think then of what the Lord Jesus said to Martha. If you believe in me, he who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. That's our encouragement for, yes, indeed, some righteous die young. But we do not die like the wicked. We live forever. And notice what our experience is. If we continue that comparison with the tree, verse 13 tells us, they're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Our experience is not only the experience of living forever, but it is also the experience of living in the presence of God, in His house, meaning under His care, in His blessings, under as He shelters us, as He picks us up like a shepherd picks up a lamb and holds that lamb to His breast. So the Lord embraces us. That's our experience. To God be the glory. His works are oh so precious. And His steadfast love, His faithfulness, amazing. And then verse 14 tells us that we continue to flourish. The righteous bear fruit even in old age. We are ever full of sap and green. Now we might ask, well, how do our older brothers and sisters continue to bear fruit. There are so many things that they did when they were younger and yet they can't do anymore. Do they still bear fruit? Can we praise the Lord for the 
way that the elderly continue to flourish and are ever green? Yes, indeed. For verse 15 gives us a profound answer about how the righteous bear fruit. For it says that the righteous bear fruit even in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To do what? To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. That, brothers and sisters, is bearing fruit. That is what our lives is about. To bear fruit for the Lord. And all those other things that we do in service to the Lord and in developing this earth and rejoicing in it and all the uh, beauty of it and all the uh, strength that we may derive from this earth, all of it really does boil down to being fruit when we declare that the Lord is upright. When we declare that he is our rock. Whether you're a little righteous baby or a righteous child or a righteous teen or adults, middle-aged, elderly, always the righteous bear fruits for the Lord to declare that he is upright. And to declare that the Lord is upright really means that you say, the Lord does what is right. I think of a mother cradling her little child who is hot with fever, holding the child in her lap. They pray together and then they sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Both mother and child bear fruit for the Lord. I think of an agricultural area in Brazil where they are raising beans. The harvest time has come. But just at that point, the rains also come. It's a wet week and no one can get out on the fields. On Saturday, the sun comes out. The fields dry up. And Sunday is a beautiful day. And everywhere you see men and women hurrying out to the fields to harvest those beans. But not everyone. There is also a group 
that doesn't head out to the fields, but heads to church, a group of righteous people who believe that the Lord, who in Exodus 34 said to keep the Sabbath even in the time of harvest, a group that believes that under these circumstances the Lord will provide, that is bearing fruit. Not simply in harvesting beans, but in giving obedience to the gospel. Knowing the Lord. That is what it is to bear fruit. I think of a mother of five young children. She is struck with a terrifying blow for her husband is killed in an accident. And still, still she says, the Lord is upright. He only does what is right. And a few months later, as she is overwhelmed and has headaches, spells of dizziness, much anxiety, and is practically unable to do anything anymore because of all of this that has come at her. And as she expresses herself, thinking, I just cannot do it anymore. And yet, she says, the Lord is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. He is my strength. He will exalt me. And I will see the downfall of my enemies. That, brothers and sisters, is experience that many of you experience. And that is how you, as righteous children of God, bear fruit even in old age. You believe. You believe and say, the Lord is my rock. A rock is an expression of the Lord's deliverance. Think of David, pursued by enemies, and the Lord grants a deliverance. And sometimes, perhaps physically, often symbolically, the Lord, as it were, takes David and lifts him up and sets him up on a high rock 
such that his enemies cannot scale that steep rock and they are down below and David is delivered and can say, the Lord, he is my rock. The Lord as our rock is a sure foundation for our lives. He who does, who hears the words of Jesus Christ and does them is like the man who builds his house on the rock. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone for the temple of God, whose temple you and I are. Living stones built up to the glory of God. The Lord is my rock. Think of Israel out in the wilderness, dying of thirst, and the Lord causes waters to gush forth from a rock to satisfy all their thirst. The story is recounted in Exodus 17, and in 1 Corinthians 10, we are told that that rock was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord, he is the living water, the living water that both cleanses us from all unrighteousness and satisfies our anxieties and longings and thirsts of every kind. It is a great joy in this day, today, to be with you and to declare with you and celebrate with you bearing fruit. The Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.